You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone, and I have a confession to make. I'm drinking or drank, drinking, drank a lot of coffee this morning, a lot of coffee. And I haven't had any in 10 days and it's, uh, it's doing some things to me. Josh, are you worried about me at all? No, I'm ready. I'm strapped in, ready to go. Chris I like when you're all, I have a wife and two kids. You're way down the list. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. So we are continuing. <laughs> <laughs> like a dude stuck on the record. Jesus. He's got a machine gun back. <laughs> we need Noel Gift to do the uh, to do the machine gun knee uh, yeah. with that audio. The tone, the we tone gave him has audio. been set. We give him audio. You hear that? You hear that, Noel Gifts? Do it. Or GIFs? All right. I'm going to focus. <laughs> We're going to get through this. We are continuing our Camp Memories series. It's been a fun series to do so far. We've gotten some friends from the past to uh, to come on the podcast and share their memories of essentially what it was like back in the day when you know there was recruiting camps to cover it's, it's been a been a been a year or so since we've had it actually a couple of years if we want to be snarky about it but I want to focus today guys on what's essentially the final few years of the Jimbo Fisher camps uh, starting point let's do this Josh can we say can we say uh no I'm not gonna can we say BDE on here there was some that? energy. There is there is an energy out on the field that was high in confidence. That's where I want us to start. Is where that the energy and that confidence was just brimming and 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 boiling over because Florida State had just won a national championship uh, at the end of the 2013 season, and that crescendos and leads into the 2014 Jimbo Fisher camp, mm-hmm. and we start seeing big time names from all across the country arrive in Tallahassee. That's where we're going to start this series. Josh, I'm going to talk about someone with your with your namesake. Uh, set the scene here. Uh, it's a balmy July night, uh, around midnight, and there's news coming that, that we think or now know that the number one recruit in the country, Josh Sweat, is arriving in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. A peek behind the curtain, Joshua, if you will, uh, what that was like. And, and at the times before the knee injury, this is when Josh Sweat is being compared to Jadavion Clowney. And and this is a big deal. So exactly like what happens with him arriving at Florida State? Yeah, he was, a, he, was, he was a big-time prospect that summer. By that summer, he was a big-time prospect. Um, he had visited Ohio State, Georgia, Virginia Tech, and Tennessee. And FSU had been mentioned as a school that he definitely wanted to get to and visit. Um, there was a lot of confidence from the FSU staff that he was going to visit. And the week of Ryan Bartow calls me the week prior to the camp. And who's, Bartow, who's Ryan Bartow for some of the people. Ryan Bartow was a regional recruiting analyst for, for the state of Florida in the Southeast at the time, but he had strong ties into the Virginia beach area in the Carolinas specifically um, from his time covering Clemson. So Ryan calls me that week and had gotten word from Barton Simmons and the guys who do the rankings that Josh Sweat was going to be moved to the number one player overall. And Barto was battling uh, the dude with rivals. Uh, what's his name that covers the Northeast for them, Chris? And I think it was Adam Friedman. Adam Friedman for scoop all, all offseason on Josh Sweat. And Barto was, 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 was working him. So... Barto gets word that Josh Sweat's going to be announced as the number one player. So he sort of uses that as leverage. He takes it from Barton and says, let me, can I tell Josh Sweat? So Barto calls Josh Sweat on like Wednesday and lets him know that, Hey, the rankings are dropping. I I don't know, like Thursday or Friday, you're going to be the number one player overall. So of course, Josh Sweat's like super happy. Um, And Barto kind of uses that to get the exclusive for his upcoming visit, which was supposed to be to Florida State that weekend. And of course, unofficial visits, nobody ever knows for sure. Uh, Josh Sweat wasn't a kid that tweeted. He didn't do a lot of interviews. He wasn't um, dropping a pin saying that he's in Tallahassee. He wasn't one of those kind of kids. So Brian Bartow coordinates with Josh Sweat and his coach to meet 
Josh Sweat at the team at the the hotel, the DoubleTree downtown in Tallahassee, and get the exclusive of when he basically arrived. Um, does a full Q and A with him. It was great. Uh, beats Adam Friedman to the punch. We get it up. Uh, of course, the next morning, Josh Sweat arrives at campus. Chris, do you remember the the weekend of of the Josh Sweat arrival? Yeah, I mean it was golf cart galore. Mom was there. Uh, Coach was with him, if I remember correctly, too. But mom, coach, yeah. mom was a really important part of that whole visit. Mom was the one that, as much as you had to sell Josh on the school, you had to sell mom on the school. So she's one I kind of remember. And Josh was the kind of kid that, you know, the, everybody knew he was in the building when he was in the building. And every coach made sure to go over and say hi. And he was connected to Jimbo for much of it at the hip. Chris says, was, um, Chris says mom like a British person. I think we need to just mom. address it. Mom. Loving mom. <laughs> so the Josh and Josh Sweat ends up committing what, like in August? It was before the season, so not long after that. And it was interesting because we didn't know where Florida State stood for him at the time. Obviously, he was interested, but he'd visited all the schools that Josh had mentioned before and not Florida State. So clearly they did something right during that that extensive unofficial visit. He committed in December, if I remember correctly. It was after the knee injury? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Because a big selling point for him was that FSU had stuck with him through it all. And the rehab, and they were talking about what they could do for the rehab. You know what? I do remember that. They were there beforehand, and they were there after. It was kind of the thing that won him and his family over and made him comfortable with going away. If I remember correctly, it was like December 8th, 10th, somewhere in that ballpark. It was like after a weekend of December of that year. But he he wasn't a kid that did a ton of recruiting such stuff in season and stuff. He was very much a when he went, it was a super intensive visit wherever he went. Like he wasn't yeah, he one of these took, guys that just kept going to places over and over. He wasn't that. He took his officials in the fall. He went to Ohio State, Florida State, and Virginia Tech, and then committed to Florida State on December tenth, and then enrolled on January fourth, right after the. Uh, what was he in the uh, he was in the Under Armour game, I believe. Yeah, but he couldn't play because of the injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I'm trying to think here. So and how uh, how often would you guys go to a hotel to chase down a recruit? Like how often does that happen, especially during camp season? Like a handful Dur- of times. Yeah, during oh. camp season it's not super common. Um during official visit season, it's a little bit more common or has been in the past when you know kids getting ready to fly out, say early on Sunday morning, you might go and get them there or even the airport you might sit on. Oh, if I've they're not some, coming. I've done some airport watches. The only other time I can remember going to a hotel to get uh some interviews would be like if I knew Team Tampa was in town and Grady would just tell me, hey, come over and get these guys. Or if it was another seven on seven group that we knew, like South Ford Express and Brett Getz told us, like, you know, his players are available at this point. Like that would be the only time. But we never really went there to get interviews because anybody we wanted was going to be on the field that day. Right. And very rarely would we ever interview anybody when they arrived. Josh Sweat was unique because he had just been named number one player overall uh, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. It, we got a long Q&A with him. It was an exclusive blah, blah, blah. So that was a little bit different. Normally, we you want them at the end because you want to talk to them about their experience. How, why talk to somebody in the beginning when they haven't gone through everything yet? So it, it was kind of pointless to, to really meet kids at their hotel when they arrived. Yeah, and the thing about Sweat is he was also a good interview. Like, he was a kid that you could sit and do a lengthy interview with, and it would be effective. He didn't say a ton, but he did answer you. He put thought into his answers. He was good. Plus, I think people don't understand how freakishly good he was before that knee injury. Mm-hmm. Like, he, we were kind of robbed of what he was supposed to be as a senior and even early in his FSU career and at points in his FSU career because of those knee issues. But when he was good, he was really good. There's a reason he's with the Eagles and he gets a good amount of burn with him. Mm-hmm. He is that level of player. But before that horrifically bad high school injury, he, he was an animal. I mean, he, he, was, he deserved to be number one. And it wasn't one of those things where you question. I think he ended up, despite the injury, which it was an injury that some people thought may be career-threatening or at least greatly diminish him, he still finished like top eight, ten in that class. And that was a class, you know, had some really good top end talent. Derwin James was a guy that was in that class, for example. 
Um, it's actually kind of funny. I just brought up the rankings for that class and there were a whole lot of busts in front of him. Oh, we're going to get to that. So okay. that's a whole episode coming up. Not Derwin though. Derwin sure as hell wasn't he, a bust. It's safe to say he was not a bust. Uh, so, so FSU I, I, has, I, 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 now he's stuttering. A hey, quick side note. I once argued that Derwin James should be number one in that class. And I got I mean, some, I got some gruff for it because I was told that you can't make a safety number one. And I'm like, well, he's a freak of nature. You can, and Derwin's a freak of nature. Yeah. Safety's oh, a good deal. Cause it, he, it, he's I'm a little fine. better than Trenton Thompson. I just know that much. <laughs> Trenton Thompson. Derwin James is in a safety. Like he's everything. And that's, yeah. that's the difference. And obviously he was used that way at Florida state and he's done that successfully in the NFL. Uh, so FSU has, the number one prospect on campus in July. And at this time, FSU is the number one team in the country. They are coming off a national championship and they have Jameis Winston coming back. They have Dalvin Cook arriving. I think he's there on campus at this point. Uh, And they feel really good about what they're going to have for the future. They have felt like, I mean, it's such a big part of that national championship returning. Do you guys remember, Josh, I'll ask you this because we joked about the, the BDE. Do you remember the energy, the vibe around Florida State? and what those camps were like, maybe from compared to the, the previous few years? Yeah. And, uh, Jimbo earned this, and, but he was kind of the, um, he was in the Saban position of like, he could just kind of reach his arms out and say, come to me, you know, like the best prospects in America, come to me. And they would. And um, to an extent, you know, that, that makes you feel a certain way. Um they were coming to campus to compete and Jimbo was still putting that sense of urgency to, to camp out there as we saw, especially with the quarterbacks this year. I know we're going to get to that in a minute, Yes, but the staff itself, I mean, how could you not walk around with a swagger when we, we were joking at the time about this, but they were getting more talent to campus than they were at the opening out in Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, invite only special camp. We used to joke about how it felt like the opening on campus. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how good it was. And it, it was a it was an instance where if FSU had a need or somebody that you knew the staff was interested in, if they didn't show up, you almost dismissed them as a target because you just Correct. thought, well, hell, they're getting everybody here. And if they did show up, then all of a sudden you're like, well, they've got a real shot of landing that kid. Like, that's how drastic it was. It was – very clear cut and defined that FSU was recruiting at such a high level coming off such a high of success that these things were very much the uh, line of demarcation to a degree. It was, you could even, it was a deciding point for a lot of kids. You could even see it within 24 seven sports. Um, now, like if we put a crystal ball pick in for somebody, Andrew Ivins or whoever we're competing against um, in that market is going to text me like, what are you hearing? You know, like back then, it's like if you put a crystal ball pick in for Florida State, it was just like the, they, the we wouldn't even get calls from our coworkers. They would just go ahead and put them in for Florida State because everybody was going to Florida State at one point. It, it was, was like a 50-50 proposition of a kid made it to campus. Like there, there was like the chances of them committing that they camped yeah. and got an offer. Like it went up exponentially at that point. It was such yeah, a high mm-hmm. rate. It, it was also like we knew they liked this kid, so we may have a crystal ball in for him. But then camp happens, and another kid shows up at the same position. All of a sudden, it's like, well, hell, I got to move my crystal ball off the other guy because they're now taking this guy. Right. They almost they would one up themselves to a degree. <laughs> yeah. So the pinnacle in my mind of the Jimbo Fisher camps, and, and as Josh said, Jimbo reached out his hands and saying, "Come, come to me and, and learn something." Was with the quarterbacks, and we spent the whole last episode in yeah, the series with Bud Elliott on quarterbacks. We did not have Chris Knee with us for the episode though. So just specifically, I want to talk about Chris, your memories of 2014. So again, this is after the national championship, Jimbo is the quarterback whisperer at this point, And he gets in one camp to throw DeAndre Francois, DeAndre Johnson, Jacob Eason, and Malik Henry. And there's some other, uh, there's some other underclassmen as well, but th- those are like the four headliners. When we talk about energy, Chris, and we talk about remembering like like a moment, what was it like seeing those four guys arrive at a camp to all throw and knowing like they were all competing against each other, essentially? Well, Josh had the lovely pleasure of standing at the midpoint of where they're throwing the guys and just filming. And it was just constant having to film because you're not filming one guy throwing reps. You're filming the group throwing reps because every guy in the group is a guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, FSU at one point, remember, they had the three quarterbacks. They had Francois Johnson, Loxley. 
one of the great debates on the message board is how are they taking all three? <laughs> they were at that point with quarterbacks. Like it was insane that it was Jimbo was thought of in that way as a quarterback whisperer and everybody came through and like you would watch a kid like Eason. I remember watching Eason just push it down the field and being like, man, that that's a big time college arm. And given Eason was up and down as a college player, but that explosiveness of the arm, the ability to push it down the field was certainly there. And then a guy like Malik Henry turned in a hell of a camp uh, showing. And, you know, we always heard a story about Jimbo going in a meeting either that night or the next morning, just banging the table that that's our guy. That's the dude. And that's really where the Malik Henry love for, from him came. And I think performances like that allowed them to excuse red flags that came down the road. But the, yeah, it's just, the camp used to be so unbelievable as someone who, for three years, all I did in the summer was different camps. I'm talking college, seven-on-seven, seven, uh, different events put on by different promotions. That's all I did for basically 2010 to 13 in that stretch. FSU became so much better than anything else I did outside of maybe the opening that it was just mind-blowing. And, like, I was part of the early rivals five-star stuff that they did. I don't think we called it five-star when we started it, but it was a similar national event, and they were good. Um but they weren't as good as that. Sorry, my energy right now, when we keep talking about energy, I am shaking from the caffeine. And I think I've ingested, I shouldn't have gotten a large and I should not have gotten the espresso shot in it as well. It's dangerous. Hey, Josh, you know, it's not dangerous. What's not dangerous? It's actually quite helpful. Uh, getting hmm. sound advice from a pro for your finances. Tell me about it. Well, this whole podcast, this whole series has been sponsored by Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. Daniel is an FSU alum. He, Those are my boys. Poor, poor, poor Daniel graduated. We're talking about the, high, the highs of Florida State. He graduated right before the national championship. And so he was here for like five years and, and got to, missed out on it. But Dan, Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial is sponsoring our Camp Memory Series. He's going to also sponsor an upcoming series that we're going to do next month, which we're really excited about as well. He's making this content possible, and I am happy to have him as a sponsor because he is someone who's extremely knowledgeable and experienced in the world of finances. And Josh, as you know, these are scary times. These are scary times. Well, no, these are scary times, and the Seminole can possibly help us. He is. Well, why don't you tell us more and inform the listeners of exactly what Dan Garland can do for us? Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated, 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. All right. So thank you one more time, Daniel. We appreciate uh, you taking an interest in us. And uh, again, implore our listeners to to support Daniel and give him a call. Again, it's it's uh, free just to give him a call and, and get an idea of your finances and where things stand. So keeping on with the 2014 uh, post-national championship buzz, there was one other recruitment that I wanted to discuss real quick. And, and this is kind of Chris Knee's wheelhouse. Ronnie Harrison, who ends up being a really strong, impactful safety Alabama, and he's in the NFL currently for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was on campus in 2014, uh, but but that whole deal knee was this weird kind of standoff Cold War type of deal. This was a little bit before my time, so maybe you can you can fill us in on, on what 
what went wrong? Why Florida State couldn't get Ronnie Harrison, a kid from its its own uh, backyard? Yeah, the local would show up, stand on the sideline. And he'd usually come either with a family member or local people that he's friends with that would bring him around to places. He uh, would just stand there and watch. And I, I walked up one time when he came with someone who I knew very well, known for years, deals with a lot of prospects. I go, is Ronnie going to work out? Nah. I go, but he, he even had cleats this day. He usually didn't show up with cleats. I go, he's really not going to work out? Like not even a few reps? No. So this thing went on, and this happened repeatedly, probably, shoot, over a couple years span, three, four times. And, like, it made sense. Alabama had offered, so I don't think he felt like he needed to work out. But I can't find out. several offers besides Alabama. But, yeah, Alabama was one of them. And Bama was certainly holding a tight place in his heart. Um, I came to find out after everything, when it all ended, from Harrison's side perspective, he was local and didn't feel like he needed to work out at FSU. FSU knew who and what he was, and he was 15 minutes down the street from them. So, like, if they needed to see him, come see him on a Friday night, that type of thing. And from FSU's perspective, they believed that a kid working out at camp showed a certain level of uh, muster or desire to want to something they just wanted to see. It was sort of a benchmark they wanted to check off. So I got the story from the other side. Charles Kelly told me that it was kind of a miscommunication. What had happened was when they evaluated him in like December or January, when they were doing their big staff evaluations, Pruitt marked him as a, as a no offer because he wanted to see him run in the spring. Pruitt was very particular about his defensive backs and, he always wanted to know, can they run with the, he would always say, can they run with the fastest wide receivers in the ACC? That's what I want. They got to be able to do that. So he marked him as like a do not offer, but his thing was he was going to be there in the spring. He was right down the street. He was going to see him. And then they were going to figure out if they were going to offer. Well, Pruitt leaves for Georgia. And I don't know if the staff knew why Pruitt had marked him as a do not offer, but he was in their system as a do not offer. Um, and that just, you know, at this point it got, I don't know, how Florida State mistook it in the spring and didn't do that eval. But by the time summer came around, he already had that Alabama offer. FSU was walking around with that uh, that energy that we spoke of before and figured, and figured, well, we're FSU, so you better put your cleats on and work out. And it just became this Cold War. Like, it wasn't – there was no arguing, but it was like he would walk up to campus thinking he was going to get offered – and FSU would see him arrive to campus thinking he's going to work out. And neither side wanted to budge. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was odd to watch and, like, feel the tension. Charles Kelly's not an aggressive person who's, like, mean. He's not that mm-hmm. kind of coach. So, like, him, like, wanting the kid to work out is kind of humorous because he just wanted him to work out. Like, it but wasn't also, him Jimbo could offer at any moment, too. Right. And then Ron, Ronnie's a competitive kid. I mean, Ronnie gets after it. There's a reason he's in the NFL with the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronnie came back to bite FSU in the ass. He's one that hit DeAndre and injured him mm-hmm. and didn't do it intentionally. I'm not trying to say that to any degree, but he is one that hit him and caused the injury. So it's just it's one of those weird local things that I never understood. Now, given at this point in FSU's time, they didn't have to have Ronnie Harris and they were getting good safeties. They were recruiting at an extremely high level. Wasn't so Derwin in the same class? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't need to bend the knee to a local kid just to do it. FSU today would 100% have to bend the knee to it. Was, it's just it was, very different circumstances. It was really hard and frustrating and just trying to explain that to the fans and the message board at the time, like what was taking place. It was really a hard thing to convey without, at the time. Without spilling the beans. For yeah, and, yeah and just trying to more. dance around it a little bit and not talk about what's going on in the background. It was just, it was a really odd situation. I, I was really. just like, I, I always, because I had a great relationship with Charles Kelly. I had a good relationship with Ronnie and his people. I always just was like, what the hell? Like They're all like, easygoing people. Like, am I the one who needs to sit down at the table and explain the treaty to everybody? Like, mm-hmm. is that what's happening here? That's what I felt like. And I don't like being the one. In the middle. I'm not, that's not what I do. They're all very, you know, all the, all the people involved. I, I thought the world side. would. I thought the world of Ronnie as a player. I had yeah. seen Ronnie play multiple times. And I thought he was a dude who certainly would help the roster. So, you yeah. know, this is a very known thing to do to take something small and uh, make a big deal out of it or apply it as something bigger than it is. But 
to me, that's kind of a, one of the first like cracks in the sidewalk that you see the lack of communication, some stubbornness. These are things that end up really coming to bite Jimbo in the butt towards the end of his, his era. I mean, is that, is that fair to say, or am I making too big of a deal? I'm making too big of a deal. of it. You're making too big of a deal of it, but I think there is a matter of you start seeing maybe some hubris, some, some belief in being, so almighty at what you're doing at FSU, what helped them climb that mountain mm-hmm. to get to 2013, they almost thought it was like owed to them afterwards to a degree. And I think that is somewhat led to the downfall. There's obviously some major many, factors that led to the factors. downfall in many, right. but I do think that played a role to a degree. Yeah. Uh, that's more what I was going. This was just kind of symbolic of some of the, the issues that we see to start creep up a little bit. Uh, another example of that. Kind of, this is just a weird of, of the energy that Florida State is kind of feeling themselves a little bit. They ended up becoming a rule. It was like the the Josh Newberg rule where we could record video, but we couldn't have audio with it. And, and I think mm-hmm. it came directly from a camp session in which, well, Josh, I'll, I'll let you explain it, but it, it ends with someone screaming at you. <laughs> I started filming cams differently, like in 2011 or 2012, because Jimbo wouldn't let anybody else on the, on the coaching staff ever speak. It was one voice. And what, while I was shooting some of the prospects and doing single cutouts on, on some of these guys going through Jimbo Fisher camp, the coaches would also be in there. Well, fans on the message board were like, Oh, that's awesome. And I started filming more of the coaches interacting with the recruits and almost posting that uh, more than just the recruit himself. Um, and it was doing well, you know, it was, everything was going good until one day in 2014 when a video got back to trick it that he never saw. Um, and in the video, I just watched it. It's like a minute 27. He says, he says, I think he says ass a couple of times. He says GD once. Um, not really a, a, a bad look for Trickett, who we, we've seen out there in rare form before. And at these camps, it's not like we're the, the media is the only ones in there. There's parents all around. And at this point, Coach Trickett has a reputation. Like Coach Trickett is one of the reasons why a lot of these parents even come. There had to be at least 30 to 40 parents around me uh, when I was filming this. So Anyway, the next day, he gets all the kids on the field, all the big men on the field. This is at the big man camp. And um, it's the 9 a.m. session, and they're about to do stretch. So everybody's in their stretch lines. And right before stretch is about to happen, I'm not really paying attention, but he starts yelling at Mike Langston. And (laughs) I'm standing there, and Langston says something like, that wasn't me. And I kind of caught that, but I I didn't know – Trickett was really yelling at him. So all of a sudden Trickett turns to me and starts chewing me out in front of all these coaches and recruits. Like they're just standing there waiting to stretch and he starts chewing me out. Um, he, he knew he had everyone's attention. It was great. He put me on the spot and I knew the whole camp was there. I knew I was in like Trickett's house. I wasn't going to say nothing to him on the field. So um, I didn't like it at all. It, it pissed me off. I think I, uh, I wasn't there. <laughs> oh yeah, you were there. No, I wasn't there. Oh, you I was in I was in Jacksonville at a concert with Caressa and some friends. <laughs> That's right. And you were just covering it. And I think I'm driving home that night, and you call me, and you're just like, "I'll, I'll let you get pet to the part of the story we talked to Rick and Travis." But you called me after that, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, I called you. Word got back to Travis because Travis Trickett and I were good friends. I mean, hell. Travis slept on my couch probably like half a dozen times while he was recruiting at Samford when he used to come in and, and, and recruit Tampa. So Travis calls me. It was the last day of camp. It was the big man camp. I'm on my way home. He tries to smooth things over. I'm just irate. I'm pissed. Um, one thing leads to another. I'm on, I'm passing like the Gainesville area and Rick Trickett calls me. <laughs> And he called me to apologize. Um, he told me I had to understand, like, he's just there to coach. He, you know, he, he wasn't really apologizing. He was just telling me he's sick of it. 
Um, I call BS on him. Like Trickett's a character himself. I'm not the only one there. There's parents all around as well. If you were worried about saying it in front of Knowles 24-7, then you should have been way more concerned about what you were saying in front of these parents. And we went back and forth. And basically my point to him was like, yo, we're all in this machine together. Like you're coaching a game where you make $800,000 a year. And if there's no media, there's no interest. And if there's no interest, there's no money. And he's free at any time to leave for a high school coaching job in South Alabama, but he ain't going to do that. So we got to play in this whole thing together. And I was like, you know, I understood he was sick and tired of it. I was sick and tired of it. I think we just kind of left it at that. Um, but I never talked to Rick Trickett again after that, but we, you know, we apologized to each other and it turned into a whole thing. I had all the trickets texting me and like, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a whole thing. And I, I get the phone call the next day while well, Josh calls me and unloads because he just needs to. And then I get a phone call from FSU the next day about going forward, all video will have no audio and like getting it laid down. And I'm like, cool. I wasn't out there. I heard. Thanks. I'll let him know. <laughs> like, like, all right, good. Glad we're here. You guys are always the go between, between like FSU SID and compliance and yeah. me, because you guys have to face the music there in Tallahassee while I'm, you know, the guy behind the curtain in, in Tampa St. Pete. And you're like, I don't know why you guys get so worked up about it because you're not the one who gets yelled at, although you did it with Trickett. So I guess, I guess it does happen. Chris, do you remember the time I got yelled at by Jimbo and Tino? Back in I remember Tino yelling at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were getting super paranoid towards the, and I got a call for that too. <laughs> <laughs> See, it works out. You get some of our shit back. Uh, back well, Tino you. called me to apologize to you. The funny thing that, it was before the Alabama, it was like Jimbo was getting tense. And obviously mm-hmm. we know now that like things were happening behind the scenes where maybe he was negotiating with, with another program uh, before the Alabama game in 2017. But it was you know, media what have like 20 minutes or so to, to film video. And we were always pretty conscientious, like to not record something that is going to be giving away a game plan or you know, a coach dog cussing someone like you know, we want to be there recording it and getting information for our, our, our readers. So we don't want to get kicked out. And I'm just recording quarterbacks throwing the ball to tight ends. And like they start doing tight end, um, like a wheel pattern, which they would always do with, like, they would do that like five or six times a season where they would try to slip out a tight end. And so we're just filming it. And Jimbo started, you got to record goddamn everything. And then, and then I didn't. Tino, bl- Tino jumped on like the tag team partner. Like he wasn't actually <laughs> tagged in, but he was ready to fight. Yo, turn off. <laughs> so I got the, the Jimbo drawl and then I got like the, the Northeastern Tino. Yo, turn off the effing camera. <laughs> yeah. Fun times. Fun times. So, so let's think about some other camp things that were kind of weird uh, before we get into some more of the recruiting tidbits. So, Chris, do you remember the time that Bill Miller, didn't he get like, hitting the face with a ball and got like a broken nose and blood all over the place. And he I don't know how to coach through it. Yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah, know if he broke it, but he got cranked in the face and his uh, nose took it. Uh, and, uh, I remember him just sticking the swabs up there trying to keep it from running, but he did. He coached through it. That, that man, all man. 76 years of him, he kept going. But there's like one thing to see a football coach out there, like bleeding from the head because he slapped his helmet with another, co- you know, with another player. And he's like a, a young up and comer coach. But it was like another thing, 76 year old man with a bloody nose. I wanted to go out there and just like <laughs> take him to the side and tell him it's going to be OK. It's OK, man. He he was getting so much crap. I think Charles Kelly was even busting his chops, if I remember correctly. And Charles was usually the compassionate one. So it was pretty fun. That uh, this wasn't at FSU camp specifically, but I think to show like just how we talked about before, Josh, like the access he would get and how close he'd be to the quarterbacks filming. But there's so many bullets flying around during these camps, and you're talking about different position groups and then parents running around. Didn't Trey McKitty not at Florida State, but at the opening, like mm-hmm. really accidentally hurt someone like pretty badly? Yeah, yeah he, um, he was running a fly route vertically and a a volunteer water girl was walking across the field horizontally. Uh And if you know geometry, those two points at at some point in time intersect and they did. And Trey McKitty ran over this girl and she fractured her leg at the opening Nike's camp, which, you know, is a commercial industry. Um, It was a big thing. It, it, it took 
all the camps and combine. It, it it impacted everything moving forward. Like the media had to move back. And this was all because it was a girl that was walk, working the camp, wasn't real familiar with football and just didn't have her head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it wasn't McKinney's fault at all. Um, you know, they collided. But that impacted camps that we are, we attended for years to come, didn't it, Chris? Yeah, it, it changed the parameters of where you were able to work, where you were able to shoot, how you were able to get in there. Um, a lot of times camps kind of break down from like a coordination standpoint, as far as like, this is where the line should be. Mm-hmm. So you, as a media member, if you really want to get in it, you can just kind of get in there and just kind of keep molding and get yourself way up in the action. And it's great because you've got the unique angle. You're, you know, you're watching, you're, you're inside the uh, non-throwing shoulder of the yeah. quarterback with the receiver on your outside. So you got like that precision where you're right there. You're not watching it from the sideline but it became ropes up, staying back, back of the end zone, that kind of stuff. And I remember her leg, the sound of the leg cracking and Trey felt awful. I remember that too about it. It, yeah. it just wasn't fun. Trey was shook from that. No, I yeah. don't blame him. That sounds, that sounds horrible. Uh, one other, yeah. One other uncomfortable camp moment that I can think of. Isaac. I oh, know we're not there yet. This is, that, that's going to be a funny one. Hey, Hey, don't jump ahead. Calm down. This is this was just an awkward, awkward moment from a coverage perspective. This was, I think, in 2014. Yeah, it would have been in the 2014 camp as well. Uh, remember the news, Chris, of Jimbo Fisher's divorce and the Tallahassee Democrat? And I remember being on the field, on the practice fields outside the IPF when that was happening. I remember Jimbo getting a call, I believe, from the Democrat, or actually I believe it was his secretary who had spoken to the Democrat, and they wanted a quote or clarification on how to write something and Jimbo didn't really give a flying you know what that they wanted clarification it was tense it was uncomfortable everybody knew what was going on out there not fun not enjoyable personal matter that you don't really want to be caught up in at least that's the way I viewed it I always thought it was I understand why people wrote about it because he's such a highly paid state employee Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. I also oh, never yeah. felt I never felt it was our place to necessarily dive deep into all of that Right. Like obviously it was going to get out. Tallahassee is a relatively soft wrote it, right? Well, so well, I, no, I want to clarify. This is what makes it Democrat awkward. staff report. I believe uh, is how it's written. No, Soffit hey, took hey, the heat for it that hey, day. Yeah. Hey God, this yeah, is he how did. it happened. Uh, this is how it happened because this was awkward. Uh, the story comes out that the Democrat kind of hid behind it, right? It was not on the front page. It was somewhere like deep into the, deep into the newspaper. It was, not attributed to anyone. <laughs> and Safid comes out to cover the camp that day because he's still doing a lot of recruiting stuff for the Democrat at that point. And he has no idea that it's even in the newspaper. Like oh, no really? one gave him a heads up. Yeah, no one gave him a heads up. So oh, he I thought up, he wrote it. No, he didn't write it at all. He didn't write okay. it at all. He didn't know that it was happening. Uh, and I think, I think they, he, he they finds moved out. It. Didn't they move it off sports and give it to either politics or something else because it was – a state employee is how they it was like it. in the it was in the main section of the newspaper it wasn't in sports it wasn't front page but it would have been in somewhere like in the a section uh, but you would have had to flip it over and it was kind of like like a little blurb um, but obviously it gets buzzing and Safed finds out while he's there and he had tried to say something to Jimbo earlier in camp and Jimbo snubbed him and he had no idea why <laughs> so Jimbo wouldn't talk to Safed uh, for a little bit it wasn't even Safed's fault uh, and then I think a few days later they end up Jimbo Fisher ends up confirming it, but he sends a release out to multiple newspapers, including myself when I was at the Orlando Sentinel, I think to war chant, maybe one or two other publications and just straight up to our email addresses too, like not to bosses or whatever. He had a secretary do it. He did not include the Tallahassee Democrat though. in, in that email confirming it. So it was another awkward camp moment because it was tense that day, as Chris said, uh, Weird things happen at camp, guys. I think that's that's the point I'm trying mm-hmm. to make here. It's hot. It's the middle of the summer. By day three, you're dehydrated as hell. You're all edgy and pissed with one another. Yeah, it, it, it gets festive. It does. All right. So transitioning from awkward and tense to more just kind of awkward and silly. Josh, let's talk about the Isaac Nada saga and uh, Isaac Isaac and the and the gaudy watch that he wore. I think that's one that listeners would like to hear. Well, it wasn't that gaudy when Isaac Nada wore it. It was just, it was a a white watch with like all the gems around it and with the big face. 
it became gaudy when he went to go work out and Tim Brewster put the watch on. And that's <laughs> like one of my big memories from that. Tim Brewster going through drills, wearing Isaac Watt's watch the whole time. It was just, it was hilarious. So this is in what, 2016 cycle and FSU is still getting big names. Let's talk about Nada and that recruitment because that was like a, a gem of the class for a good chunk of time. And then that mm-hmm. the whole thing just, kind of unraveled yeah he was at the time in just transferred to img from from buford georgia and a lot of people you know thought that that was a great sign for florida state and then it started not to be because we you know words started leaking out that he's homesick in the beginning it was a great thing that he was hooked up with Malik Henry and they were going to go on and go to Florida State and then him and Malik Henry being on the same team at IMG started not to be a great thing (laughs) um like everything kind of just soured with that recruitment but at one time and at the time when Isaac Nauta showed up for summer camp oh man things couldn't be better him and Brewster they were like bros at the time (laughs) yeah Bruce the type that if he has a desire for a kid the relationship is evident and clear, and Isaac's probably the greatest definition of that in his time at Florida State as far as his position group. I also seem to recall Marvin Wilson, I think it was in 2016, coming to FSU to camp. It like First actually – summers. He, he camped back-to-back summers. Back-to-back. So if we talk about this all the time, like this narrative that Odell Hagens is like washed. We don't say that. There's people on Twitter and on the message board, and like, oh, Odell's you know, losing it. Man, it wasn't that long ago that he was getting Marvin freaking Wilson to not just show up for summer camp, but to work out for him. Uh, Ishmael Schofer, too. Like, I think a year – or Sosfer. How do you say it? Sofer, Sosfer? Sopsher. Uh, Sopsher came out and worked out as well. Like, guys will come and uh, – Tyler Davis, I remember, under Willie Taggart came and worked out for yep. Odell to work out for him one-on-one. Like, uh, Odell would get guys to come and, and work out for him. What does that say, Chris, like about Odell – like not guys showing up, but you're getting Marvin Wilson to, to come and, and be evaluated by you. I think that speaks volumes. Well, I think Odell's longevity pays off. I think Odell's the fact that he's put so many guys in the league and made them a lot of money, life-changing money, it stands out. And guys that played for Odell will go to war for the man mm-hmm. as far as, you know, protecting him as a person, as a coach. And Odell's genuine. When he strikes up a relationship with a kid, he's going to truly build a relationship. I think the the current narrative in recruiting with Odell is weird because I think Odell is a relic of the past in a good way where he is a relationship-based slow recruiter, but he usually wins enough that you don't worry about it. And recruiting now has become such a sped-up, insane game, especially in a year like this year, that people are uncomfortable with that. I've always been a great him at the end of the cycle kind of guy with Odell, and I still think at the end of this year Odell is going to pull some kind of rabbit out of hat and surprise us with what he does at that position. And, yeah, but the whole camp factor with him, Odell builds relationships. If he talks to a kid, to their parents, and asks them to come to camps, and they say they're going to come to camps, they come to camps. And even his ability to evaluate, I think, is is noteworthy. Because, yeah, you can. it doesn't take a whole lot of time to realize Marvin Wilson's going to be special. But uh, do you remember, Chris, Corey Durden coming to camp? I think it was in that same cycle in 2016. And he came, yeah, he, well, you remember he came, with, he came with Jalen Parks. They're, they're mm-hmm. cousins, or I think they're cousins. They're yeah, very really. close from St. Newberry. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is right outside and, of Gainesville. Yeah, Durden worked his ass off. His motor was great. I'd seen Newberry play. I was familiar with both guys. Parks was a more highly thought of recruit. Mm-hmm. Durden came and worked really hard at camp. Odell, usually can tell when Odell likes a kid because he's on him a lot. You know, get low, get after it, come on, finish. You're better than that, things like that. And Durden was certainly one of those guys. And it was very evident that day that both of those kids were probably going to end up at FSU, Parks and Durden. Prior to that day, we knew Parks was likely, but we didn't know Durden was quite as likely. Josh, I'm going to throw out a couple names from the 2016 camp circuit that were at Florida State. Uh, see if any of these stand out to you in terms of their recruitment. Uh, Hampson Nasralding was there working out. Trey Sanders, they're working out. Daniel Wright, safety, they're working out. And James Cook, working out. And those are all blue chip players. Yeah, and again, a lot of those names ring a bell. Those were Brewster guys. I just remember him telling me all these guys are coming to camp, um, being all hype about them. Here's a funny story. 
I remember this. Uh, this is kind of an embarrassing story for me. But Marvin Wilson came to camp. I can't remember if it was the first or second go around, but he came to camp with this little five ten wide receiver that was like on his team or something. And after the visit, they offered his teammate. And at the time, Marvin Wilson was like this borderline five star, five star, whatever, big time, big time prospect. And it was like, okay, they're playing chess, not checkers. They're 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 offering his teammate, who's only five foot ten. Um, and I put in the title, like Marvin Wilson's teammate offer, which looking in hindsight was an, was a bad thing to write, but I get a call from somebody on staff at the time saying like, yo, like we offered, like this is meant to be. And the kid also, I think DM me and wasn't too pleased with it. His name, any guesses? Any guesses who who I was who I was referring to is Marvin Wilson. Real quick, team. real quick, Josh. Why were they mad? They were mad because you were saying Marvin Wilson's team. I was sliding him. Yeah, uh, I mean, put I, some I, respect on Jalen Waddle. Yeah. Jalen Waddle, right? Is it Jalen Waddle? It was Jalen Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> but Jalen Waddle was the. I think Marvin Wilson was only going into eleventh grade, and Jalen Waddle might have been a year younger than him or something. So, um, it was. I mean, looking back on it, it was a uh, it was my mistake. Um, I changed the title; it was all good. But yeah, did Jalen Waddle camp? Would he actually no. work out? No, and he just came through, and it was just a day. So I thought that they were just offering him as a courtesy. I mean, I just looked at his bio real quick, and he had like maybe two other offers. He was five foot ten, and I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. <laughs> Waddle would like run around and flash that he was freakishly fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like he didn't work out. He didn't get okay. super intensive. But I saw Jalen Waddle in plenty of seven on sevens, and um, he was badass. Yeah, he was even at that he, at the one I went to in Las Vegas that Jimbo was at. Um, remember Jimbo? Yeah, because Trey one. Trey was at right? championship. Yeah, Jalen Waddle was there. He working out at that one. So that was like the year after. So J- by that time, Jalen Waddle was playing for Houston Fast and was like, you know, a very well known prospect, but. At one time, I referred to him as Marvin Wilson's teammate. <laughs> Trey Sanders, FSU, I think, was his second ever offer after only, I want to say, Georgia. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was a Port St. Joe kid back then, so he came up here a few times. He Trey was a freak. Trey, Trey dominated state championship game, I think, as a freshman, if I remember correctly, and it was pretty clear at that point he was going to be big time. I think Trey's a guy we're going to see blow up on a college team this year. Um, Nas, well, he came and camped. With Jay yeah. Graham, remember, is like a sophomore. Uh, Nas was from Concord, North Carolina. I mm. grew a good relationship with a couple of his high school coaches. The thing I remember about Nas more than anything is how damn good he was on a basketball court. Like, athletically, he was freaky on a basketball court. Daniel Wright actually committed to FSU, right? Yeah, he was. And flipped. He flipped to Alabama. And then James was always a novelty act for FSU to a degree because he was Delvin's brother. But James and Delvin are very, very different. Different upbringings you know, different immediate parent they live with type thing. Different uh, just, style players too, like yeah. contrasting as well. Yeah. So okay. So we're still talking about uh, memories. Good amount of talent coming through at this at this point in Florida State's uh, uh the Jimbo Fisher era. I want to take a quick commercial break for our national sponsors and we come back, we're gonna kind of talk about the end of the Jimbo Fisher camps. Woohoo. It's very sad. Be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the final countdown. We're back. The final 
year of the Jimbo Fisher camp. Oh, and, uh, you said countdown. I thought we were doing the top <laughs> 10 best players on FSU's <laughs> team again. Some flashbacks. Not yet, buddy. Not yet. Josh, why do you hate Asante Samuel? Yeah. Why do you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, back Chris, to why do you hate Chubba Purdy so much? I, Mulligan. <laughs> All right, 2017 camp, a young man named Justin Fields. You may have heard of him. He was there. He was we, really good. We talked about this with Bud and the whole arrival of uh, Justin Fields and how big of a deal it was. And I talked about, like, remember, Chris, they wanted to keep it sec- They want to keep it secretive. I think the second mm-hmm. time he showed up, and that ended up being, like, a big deal. That- Is this when he came for the, from the seven-on-seven event locally? Yes, this was yeah. the second one. Yeah, I remember sitting in the moor, and the moor has little uh, – tall rectangular windows and wooden build there at the front. I remember sitting there staring at them like I was on a stakeout. There's a picture here that maybe I should put for the front of this. And and it's the one that I'm going to read a story that Josh is in a few minutes here. Uh, But the the picture in it is of Justin Fields visiting, but it's shot like really grainy and like behind bushes. It's kind of creepy. (laughs) I remember that. I think Chris shot it from inside. Yeah. It looks like he shot it from a camera phone from uh, 200. Tell the story about it, Chris. Well, at this point, it was speculated he was coming and FSU Mm -hmm. didn't want it out, basically. But it was going to be out. It was going to get out. He had played at a seven on seven locally with Cam Newton's team, if I recall correctly, at FAMU DRS. And then he came over for a brief visit, kind of drop in, check it out again and whatnot. And it was just. It's one of those weird instances of like, yeah, I'm here and you know why I'm here. And they're like, well, we don't want you here for this. And I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm sorry. So, so that's what it was. So like, I didn't go out front cause I didn't want to cause a commotion out there and stuff. Like we usually see kids when they're coming in by the Bowden statue, that sort of greeting point. And by a loose definition of NCAA rules, we're supposed to be outside the building to do any contact. Um, but in this case, I think I actually shot the photo through the window. Like, I think I shot it from inside the moor through the window of the kid coming from outside. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah. was going to do the share screen on this, but I don't want to mess up the recording. I'll show you guys later. It's a, it's a good picture. Uh, Field's whole recruitment felt that way, though. It never – the most normal good, moment of Field's recruitment for me was when I went to one of his high school games and I talked to him and his father, who was the school resource officer for the game, or at least for the football team, at that event. That's the only normal moment I truly recall in Justin Fields' recruitment because the opening turned into a whole zoo because he blew up because mm-hmm. he was awesome at it. Um, it's probably the best performance I've ever seen out of camp. But everything else about that recruitment, no normalcy to it ever. Just wasn't the way it went for I remember me. being in a, at the spring game, Chris, and I think he showed up then with, with Cam Newton's 7-on-7 uh, seven seven team. Yeah, they, they had a whole group come over, a loaded group. Truthfully, if you look back at that roster, a lot of high-level D1 kids. We were trying to confirm yeah, it's like it. Like Nicole Hardman and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're up in the press box, though, and Chris has the uh, – takes my Chris loves taking my binoculars during the game. It's one of his favorite things to do, and he's got the binoculars. Because like, he doesn't have his own pair. No, I have my own. I just – I like using Brendan's, right. but we can't do that anymore. we got social distance or binoculars going. Oh. That's true. I actually actually got Chris in trouble once because I texted Caressa and I was like, you know, you should get Chris for Christmas is binoculars. Turns out she had gotten him binoculars as a present like a year before. <laughs> so okay, wow. it came out in the wash that he never used her present. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. My, my binoculars are actually sitting right here to my right. Ooh, I have them right here. Look at that. Hey. Got really intense. There yeah, I was, I was leaning to pick them up. When Justin Fields, he came and he threw in June, I believe, at Florida State. And we talked about that with, with Bud. So I don't want to go too in-depth. I do want to get Chris's thoughts. So do you remember that actual performance of him throwing? what Because Jace Reuter was there as well. And so episode yeah. kind of Oh, Jace Reuter. Yep. Kansas, right? From Kansas. Yep. Um, Fields was clearly an elite dude. Um, his, my opinion of him was very high coming off that. My opinion of him after the opening was that, man, he may actually compete with Trevor to be the best quarterback in this class. And for so long, you always thought Trevor was just clear-cut, defined number one. But Fields at FSU was really good. He he has a live arm. He has a weird natural fluidity when it comes to throwing while his body's moving. But he's also a guy that's very comfortable at setting his feet and letting one rip. He, he just was good. He not to sound cliche, but he checked all the boxes as a quarterback. He could do everything you want a quarterback to do. He could hit that short out route. That's difficult from the far hash. He could go vertical and do big things. I just, 
Justin Fields was it, it made perfect sense at this point why FSU was so in love with him. Here's the Jimbo BDE at its finest. I remember thinking this was one of the most badass things Jimbo ever did when Justin Fields was throwing for him. Justin Fields, they were running some different patterns and they were just like a seven on seven deal. And he goes to Jimbo, he's like, hey, do you want this shotgun or do you want me to take it under center? Jimbo goes shotgun. And he goes, well, hang on. So like, go under center. He's like, that's where you're going to get the money. And at that point, who else was recruiting Justin Fields? It, it was an appeal because there were spread teams going after him, but Jimbo, like, basically. Well, Georgia, Ohio, Ohio State, State oh, Penn State. Penn State. Jimbo, Jimbo flexed to be like, hey, I can, you know, you're going to make money in my system. And it was, just, it was so cool and casual the way Jimbo did it. I was very impressed with him in that moment. Uh, and at this point, the band was back together. Uh, Damien had left for a couple right. years. Damien had a big role in recruiting Jameis Winston to Florida State. He's back now. So, and they had that same kind of swagger about it. And Damien's job was almost just strictly to recruit Justin Fields mm-hmm. at that point. Um, they just thought they were going to catch lightning in a bottle again. They, they were pretty confident that they were going to be able to do it. That's exactly what it felt like, Josh. It was like them trying to just repeat history again. And obviously we know how this how this ends up going. Uh, so I want to go down the list of some of the other guys who camped that year. because there, there were some good names here, but it didn't have quite, I mean, a few, uh, there's some star power. It didn't have quite the same vibe as it had in previous years. Uh, Israel Mukuamu was not a big name when he showed up. Nee, do you remember how, you could tell that when the staff likes someone. I thought that was well, very, very clear. He caught your well. attention because he's a tall, lanky kid playing yeah. DB, and he could play corner at that size. And he looked like a safety body type or even a guy who might develop into an outside linebacker if you bulked him up. But he was out there running around at corner and looked more fluid than the five foot nine kids who were supposed to be elite at corner, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just how it is measurement wise. He stood out. You could tell the staff really liked him, they gravitated to him. You could tell that they loved his size. He loved it. He was very starstruck by the visit. Um, ultimately, he committed to FSU at one point only to back off. Warren Thompson is another name, Josh. That's a Team Tampa Connect. Yeah, Warren Thompson came to camp. That was a, finally a wide receiver from Tampa that FSU was all in on. <laughs> Jay, another name here, I'll throw I'll jump down the list a little bit. Jay Sean Jones as well uh, camped. And apparently, like you said, he was a stud in camp. and no He offer. was. Yeah, Jay Sean Jones was probably like probably one of the fav- my favorite players that played for Team Tampa. Um, How come? I don't know. I just said consistent. He's okay. consistent as all hell. He catches everything. I think the thing about Jones and Thompson is that Jones not physically as freaky. The top isn't as freaky, but the consistency was unbelievable. He's a guy that can run real crisp routes, catch it real well. Warren Thompson's a freak. Warren Thompson can do things that most other receivers aren't capable of. His issue, and it still is his issue, is consistency. He's just very up and down with things. That's the thing. I think that's why Jones is the kind of kid in a camp setting you love because there's guys in camp settings who make an exceptional play, but they're crud for the rest of the day. Jones, to me, was a guy who was capable of the exceptional play, but also made every other play you asked of him. He ended up where? Maryland? He ended up at Maryland, and one of the other reasons I liked him is because I just thought he, wherever he went, if he went to a big-time program, he would be the face of that franchise within a, a couple years. Um, he went to Maryland and unfortunately suffered an ACL injury last year. His mom uh, DM'd me this offseason that he's doing okay, but his as a true freshman, he caught 22 balls and five touchdowns. Um, he was known as kind of like their big play guy. I think he also had two rushing touchdowns. So yeah, he had seven touchdowns total as a freshman. And he was a guy like, he was so silky smooth. Um, It was just another example of FSU not really recruiting these kids out of Tampa. Again, Artavis Scott, Deion Kane, um, Ray Ray McLeod, the list goes on. Jayshon Jones is another one of them. And he came up to camp. I, put, I have the video online. It's on my YouTube page, but it's unbelievable what he did up there. And he's going to go on to have a more, I'm not going to say he's a better wide receiver than Warren Thompson, um, but he's going to go on to have a more productive career than Warren Thompson already, including an ACL issue. He already has um, produced more, but I just, it was another head scratcher where I just, I, I did not understand why, you know, they, they extended the offer, I think, or maybe they didn't even offer him, but they definitely didn't recruit him either way. And I never understood why. 
that same camp, one of the last names here to talk about, Chaz Neal uh, is kind of awkward because Chaz is still on the team, but it, he gets offered at defensive end. And obviously that's not where the new staff saw him or this current staff saw him. Uh, and that was, I remember that was a head scratch at the time, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Chaz has, and this isn't me trying to be mean, he has horrible high school film. The The highlight film of him online is not any good. It's not well produced. It's not well put together. It's not flattering. Chaz comes to camp. He obviously has the frame, still has that frame today, and he's developed it very well while he's been at FSU. But that's literally all you saw from him was frame. And I remember we're leaving for lunch. Uh, Josh is in my car with me as well as, I think, one or two other people. And we're talking to somebody who had brought Chaz up. And they told us Chaz was going inside to commit. And we all just kind of thought he was joking with us. And then we end up following up with him. And, yeah, he did commit. Like, it was, it was a weird deal. And to some degree, Chaz was taken to try to get him better with Evan Neal, their cousins. Um, but Chaz was just not a guy that jumped out at you in a camp setting. Other than the frame. The frame was always there. There was always something to work with. And maybe they still are able to tap that and get something out of it in a college career. But he just wasn't a guy that you watched at camp and you went, man, that guy's going to help your football team. The same time Brad Line started getting this narrative of being sort of lazy in terms of recruiting. Sort of. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice. Um, yeah. He loved height. He loved length. And that's what yeah. he saw with Chaz Neal. But I think he just saw that and said, okay, we're, we're offering instead of doing a deeper dive. Recruiting wasn't his thing. No. no. He, he could yeah, develop a kid. at that point. Especially. He could develop a kid, but he was not interested in recruiting kids. Yeah. So I have the final, when doing the research for this podcast, I go through all the old recruiting scoops that Josh and Chris would put together. And so Josh, are you ready? I'm going to read this to you. It's your last Jimbo, last recruiting scoop of the Jimbo. Is any of this going to be embarrassing? Yes, most of it. I read it to Chris earlier. He enjoyed it. All right. So this is, you did it in the three things I know, three things I think format. Okay. So here's what you know. First. I know Florida State has created some recruiting momentum heading into this season. Fair. It was fair at the time. Man, that recruiting momentum went away really, really, really quickly. Yeah, by halftime in Atlanta. Yep. But that's yeah, that not, was factual. Everything yeah, I said the there is factual so far. Feeling good. I know Florida State has a shot at the number one class in 2019. At that point in time, they definitely did. Next Keep year's going. class, they had Jalen Curry. They had Akeem Dent. I mentioned they're in position to land Owen Popo. Oh, Owen Popo. They're they trending want, with how I loved him as a player. Sean Sheffield, Jalen Simpson, Kenyon Jackson. Mm-hmm. And um Kenyatta Watson. Or was that his name? No, Kenyatta. Well, yeah, Kenyatta, the dad and the son. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I'm thinking the uh no, you're the right. offensive lineman. Oh, uh, oh, um, the oh went the to tackle. Tennessee because he Wyatt, was involved. Wyatt, in that, Wyatt Morris. Nah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, no. You're talking about a kid that went w- to Tennessee, w- right? Wanya Morris. Wanya Morris. Wanya, there we Wanya go. Wanya Morris. He was a boyster man. My bad. I'm sorry. So, but again, hold on. So put that group together again because at one point, I'm not lying. Like, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't being a homer at the time. Um, at the time, FSU was in line. To, to potentially land Owen Popo, Jalen Simpson, Jay Sean Sheffield, Wanye Morris, Kenyatta Watson, or, or whatever Just, Watson's did you say name Justin was. Justin Fields? And Justin Fields was a part of that group too. Like they were in the good graces of that, of that whatever group they were calling themselves at the time. I forget what. what they were the Grayson bunch. Yeah, and they were the Grayson bunch for the most part. But they also had Jalen Curry was a part of it. Even though he lived in Texas, Jalen Curry was tied into that whole group. But yeah, that was that was fun. Okay, so all facts so far, Brandon. Nothing embarrassing yet. Keep going. I do want context. This is written on July twenty fourth of twenty seventeen. Just imagine speeding this up and reading it in October of twenty seventeen, and how quickly it. Or the end of September. It's remarkable how quickly the bottom falls out. Yeah. All right. I know Florida State made strides in filling their need at linebacker. Uh, the names you mentioned is the recruitment of Rosendo Lewis. Patrick Joyner, Amari Gaynor, and you also say they are keeping an eye on Shannon Tyndale and Dax Hollyfield. Okay. One out of five ain't bad. Okay. What I think, at least Amari came here. He's going to be all right. I think Florida State is the front runner to land Justin Fields. 
at the time. No, no comment on that, Josh? I mean, I felt good about it at the time, Brendan. I don't feel good about it now. Don't, you don't have to be sensitive about it. I mean, I was hiding in bushes for a reason. They, they were clearly trying to be heavily involved in that recruitment. I think Florida State is taking a low-hanging fruit at defensive end. Uh, Stacy Kirby mentioned here, Chaz Neal, Andrew Tuzuma. You were right about that one, Josh. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Last one, I think Jay Sean Jones could end up in this class. Well, yeah, they were going to offer him. That was, that was they, Josh. They told me they liked him. That's oh, Josh you think writing, I was trying to speak that into existence? That's Josh trying to write with his heart, not with his mind. <laughs> The it would have worked out. The point in reading not for is, him, but for is how quickly it all changed. And and not even before Jimbo left. In hindsight, guys, do you remember we were being told that they weren't recruiting some kids actively simply because they were trying to circle the wagons and focus on the season because things were going wrong? Yeah, there was some of that. I I remember that wasn't until the season started, though. Really, well, that I was, remember that was in like October. DeAndre recruiting was a concern in the summer, mainly like what the hell are they doing? Who are they actually after? What's going on here type thing. Uh, I remember that uh, leaving that camp and thinking it, it was good. It's still some really good talent that can help you win a lot of football games, but it wasn't the same as what it once was. What are you going to remember the most about Jimbo Fisher camps? What's your quintessential memories as we wrap up here? Um, the, the the quarterback talent, I mean, they used to get it in. It was unbelievable how much it could get through the door. Yeah. First and foremost, I'll remember the heat. I'll remember <laughs> the competition. And I'll just remember everybody's excitement to be on the field. Say what you want about Jimbo and, and all those coaches. But even into the 2015, 2016 summers, like those guys loved being out there. Like they truly loved being out there. Yeah, th- those camps for us were something we looked forward to. And that went away, sadly, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, down the road. But that went away for us, sadly, in eighteen nineteen. But for many years, those camps were kind of like, uh, we're about to go see a hell of a lot of good talent, guys that are probably going to be part of this next class. And we're going to see some really good youngins that we don't know about yet. And that, for me, for, for someone who really enjoys finding guys who early on in a recruitment and following the recruitment as it evolves – was fantastic that that hit the spot that i loved it's the reason i was a state analyst at one point is i really enjoy that and that sadly went away that's a good point to end this podcast Uh, we are going to have one more in our camp memory series and as chris alluded to we're going to focus on what camps were like in the very brief willie taggart era and then we're trying to do some research here and give you a idea of whenever we're allowed to camp again what the Mike Norvell camp era was like maybe at at Memphis and and what we can expect possibly at Florida state. So I'm going to go ahead and this podcast, I want to thank Josh and Chris for sharing their memories has been fun, enjoyable podcast. I've really liked doing this series with you guys. It's amazing. Like the wealth of knowledge, both of you have and and really how old you are, how long you've been covering recruiting. Remarkable truly is. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I am Brendan Sinone. This has been on the bench. If you're enjoying the podcast, five-star reviews on Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify, you can subscribe there too. We've got a bunch of listeners uh, jump up and, and subscribing on all sorts of platforms. So we appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next time. I told you imaginary friends are real. This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.